All right, welcome back to the Buffalo Bread Podcast. We are here in week 13. The Buffalo Bills are uh, on a bot. This week has been, again, somewhat newsworthy. It seems like the hits just keep on coming. They lost in an absolute crusher to the Philadelphia Eagles uh, in overtime and dropped to 6-6 six and six on the season. Um, the football power index still has them like third best in the league, but they're the only team at 500 that's outside of like 15th in the league. So it's, it's kind of crazy that they, um, have such a poor record, but are still considered metrics wise, measurements wise. And even in some cases, eyeballs wise, um, one of the best teams in the league. Uh, they of course lost to the Philadelphia Eagles who improved to 10 and one on the season. And, um, it was it was a lot of things. I think that probably most of Bills Mafia is really mad at Sean, Dur- Sean McDermott uh, again. Uh, most of Bills Mafia is super jacked to see uh, Josh Allen back to his passionate kind of murderer's row. Um, when it's you know when it's dark and bleak, you want that guy in your corner uh, mode because he was crushing it. Probably the best player in the NFL on the field for that week, um, and, and you know. We really like to see that. How are you feeling about this, Dan? And where do we want to go with a podcast in the bye? Um, I'm feeling like I'm experiencing deja vu. And I'd love to start with the Philly game and then talk about a couple of things I know you and I have been texting about on this Bills bye week is potential storylines for this unit. But I think it makes sense to start with the game because it sets up the Bills in a place where they are now 6-6 six and six currently. And they, listen, they basically need to win out. If they win their next five games and finish the season 11 and six, they have a 97% chance of making the playoffs. After that, 10 and six is anywhere between 60 and 40%, depending on how the rest of the AFC goes. So if you want to, and this is a horrible sports cliche because it makes no sense, but if you're a Bills fan and you want them to control their own destiny, they absolutely have to win out at this point. And it is a situation they have squarely, JJ, put themselves in with their poor conference get, with their poor conference win-loss record in the AFC, their poor division win-loss record. Point differential seems to be the only thing about this team that is in a positive margin for them when it comes to playoff calculations, because they're still plus 101 in margin of victory uh, over, uh, over their opponents, which is insane to think about for a 6-6 six and six team. A lot of where the Bills are at has to do with luck and not falling their way. The injury bug, of course, as we know, biting them on on uh, defense. But it's also been, I think, a cascading effect of that and what feels like, J.J., a, a death by a thousand paper cuts every week. An interception here, an untimely fumble here, a drop touchdown pass here, a stalled a stalled out series or two here. These bills just seem to not be able to overcome not large factor circumstances that are keeping them from winning because they're still not getting blown out. Um, but it is the these one score close games that we have seen over and over again from this unit where they continue to fail things continue to fail to fall their way, but they also continue to to fail to execute in the little ways that you need to win those games. Sean McDermott since 2020 JJ is 15 and 16 in in one score games this season this team I believe is two and four in one score games this was a problem for the 2021 unit as well 
And this was a problem for the first few games of the 2022 season as well. One score wins are one of those metrics where everybody eventually regresses back to the mean. So teams that were really good at it one year, they're not going to be so good at it the next year and vice versa. But this JJ seems to be a consistent struggle for the Bills to get out of their own way in these one score games. Some of it is player execution, but I think what Bills Mafia is more or less focused on right now is the level of deja vu they experienced in watching that Philly game. Another another amazing performance from Josh Allen and then maddening decisions by the head coach in the fourth quarter and overtime from a play calling and game management standpoint that I'm sure a lot of fans feel like cost them the game. And as I was watching this game, JJ, I, I it kind of transported me back to 2021, the 2021 Tampa Bay game uh, against the Tom Brady-led Buccaneers. I, I did a side-by-side because I was pretty confident after the Philly game that, that this was a marker in history that was worth comparing. So here, JJ, is the side-by-side comparison of the 2021 Tampa game, the Philly 2023 game, and why I feel like similar to that year in 21, this Philly game could be a jumping-off point for the Bills to finish the season on a run. So that 2021 Tampa Bay game, also an overtime game against a strong NFC opponent for the Bills, the Bills lose that game in OT 33-27 to drop to 7-6. and six. Josh Allen, our Lord and Savior, has 417 total yards in that game, 309 passing, 108 rushing, and 3 total TDs to 1 INT. Flash forward two years later to the Philly game, 37-34, Bills lose in OT. Not dropping to 7-6, and six, they're dropping to 6-6. Six and six. 2021, 417 total yards for, for Allen. In 2023, 420 total yards, 339 passing, 81 rushing, four total TDs, one INT. And J.J. Stefan Diggs in both of those games, 74 total yards receiving on seven receptions in 2021 and six receptions in, in 2023. I feel like there is some sort of karmic universal quotient at work for us here. And I am hoping that that karmic bend in the universe goes in favor of the Bills like it did in 2021. Because after that Tampa Bay loss, which everyone said was the turning point of their season, they figured out how to unleash Josh Allen. The The reins had kind of come off the offense at that point, and they were really finding their groove. They went on to win out and finish 11-6 and by beating Carolina, New England, in their revenge game for that ridiculous weather game in Buffalo. That funky Atlanta game against Matt Ryan, where you and I were both, I think Josh Allen turned it over, four times in that game and the bills still won they won a low scoring affair with josh allen playing at probably his worst game of the season absolutely the defense kind of pulled it out because yeah it was yep and then they finished up with a, a win against the jets so i am hoping jj that similarly to 2021 this buffalo bills 2023 team though there are some key differences can also somehow find this devastating philly loss as a way to buoy them into a playoff run because they're going to need it. They're going to need another 11 and six record, which you want to get into the playoffs. And you and I both said at the beginning of the season, the ceiling of this team felt like 11 wins. So they're going to have to hit that ceiling this year. Well, and I think that, you know, it's it, the corollaries are really, you know, that the comparison is so interesting. And, and I think that most people felt that way too, is like, like I said before, this is a, you know, for most of Bill's mafia, Losing in overtime to Philly 
was a weirdly buoyant performance in that it was absolutely heart wrenching, but also you feel like this this is a team. The team I saw on the field against the arguably the best team in the entire NFL shut them down on uh, shut down the Philly offense in the entire first half. Like they were kind of pitiful. Um, they turned on the second half. They had great, you know, second half adjustments. And that's something we can talk about a little bit when we get into the kind of the McDermott conversation is Philly figured out a way to attack us and was successful in it. And the bills did not kind of have a counterpunch on defense for that. And I think that's going to be something that down the stretch is, is dangerous. But, but back to my prior point, I think that most everybody just saw that game and were like, oh my gosh, Josh Allen running all over the yard throwing and and running for touch for multiple touchdowns with his arm and his legs um players really stepping up and even though there were some costly drops there were some you know really costly penalties and different things things non calls that I think that everyone's pissed off about and should be because the officiating was absolute absolute crap the worst it was, it was like it the, was the worst, worst I've seen in any game and like you feel like you know it's sometimes like oh my gosh am I just a homer is this a homer take but then you watch other games with similar plays happening and the officiating is better. And it's just like, how, how is this? Like, I'm pretty sure that Darius, Darius Slay was basically uh pass interference. He was, he was committing pass interference every single snap. And I don't think he got called one time, but in clear, crucial downs and distances, um, he was holding sure. He tackled Sherfield before the ball got there. He was like, grabbing and pulling on Stefan Diggs jersey to keep him away from the wall. And it was just like not being called for anything. Um and I think he's kind of a trash player. Uh he was doing his best sauce gardener. I was just gonna say that. Like I was oh, gonna say I, like did I step on your joke. Uh, no, it's all so good. Sorry. He's he's kind of a trash player who had the benefit of the doubt whose only like real skill in the league is that he doesn't get penalized for things that are clear penalties. Like Sauce Gardner. Um but yeah it was like ah oh, it was so frustrating. But I think I came out of that game and I like I was like you know what I sort of shrugged and I was like they can lose this one and they can lose the Cowboys game and win the rest and that's like a coin flip right it's a 50-50 chance I kind of like the Bills odds even if they win an, or if they lose another game and it actually doesn't really matter which game they lose as long as they win four of their last five um because I do see I think the Steelers, the Steelers are, they're exactly the opposite of the Bills. They're a team that has underperformed in every metric measure, but their record makes it look like they're better than they are. They are um, this year's Minnesota Vikings. Right, absolutely. yeah. Their record is way better than the actual team's performance, and that has to kind of, that has to kind of write itself a little bit. They're, they're not going to continue to get super lucky with things just bouncing their way um to, to resolve the win so i feel like they'll come back down to earth a little bit the browns are playing is it joe flacco this week they are playing joe flacco this i think week the browns sure. are starting joe flacco which should be an absolute shit show and hopefully helps them you know catch an l um the colts the colts seem all right i'm surprised by you know they're overachieving at this point and, and that's nice for them um but those three teams are in the five six seven of the playoff picture right now but I think they all have the capacity to lose at least two more games and bring them even with the Bills. Um, and then, you know, pr maybe even three games. And so between the Steelers, Browns, Colts, Texans, Broncos, there's opportunities for the Bills to gain ground on all these teams, even with a loss. I think that it's 
unlikely that um you know the Texans, Broncos, and Colts all win out. Uh, and and it's likely they'll drop one, if not two, because they also play each other in a lot of situations. There's a lot of kind of the you know some of these teams are going to be stepping on each other in the AFC, and the Bills have a chance to to clean it up. So um, yeah, I mean that's kind of where I feel the Philly game. I was really frustrated the the fact that they did not call a clear horse collar, and then instead called an intentional grounding. Um, the fact that on multiple crucial critical plays. Um, Darius Slay was committing clear pass interference and was not called. And then, you know, on top of that, there were some ticky tack penalties that they called into the Bills that either sustained um, Philly drives on offense or shut down Bills drives on offense when they were, you know, had the ball. And it's just like, you never like a situation where you have to beat the team and the refs. And that was clear what they had to do. They would have, if they were going to come away with a win against Philly at home. Um, Error in Philly, rather. So here we are. We're at the bye. Um, we're gonna see. The only thing that I that I worry about a little bit is is this team gonna have the juice when they come out of a bye in a week away, um, to kind of bring that energy and momentum to Kansas. What do you think about that? Uh, I think that is squarely on the shoulders of McDermott to get them there. This is a team that has played reasonably well in McDermott's career coming off the bye. Six. Yep. But never on the road after the bye. Correct. And they're going on the road to Kansas City, which uh, that team, listen, man, we said at the beginning of the year, I know Patrick Mahomes does Patrick Mahomes like things, but with that wide receiving core, uh, this feels like a year where someone is poised to knock off Kansas City. And this is the most frustrating piece to me. Because you ran through all of those scenarios with the Browns and with the Steelers and with the Texans and and what that might mean for the Bills' playoff odds and the Colts. Can't forget about the Colts, the Gardner Minshew-led Colts. We are better, better than all of those teams. 100%. And the fact that we have put ourselves in a situation where we need help from those inferior rosters and those those inferior clubs to get to the to get to the playoffs this season is the most frustrating piece by far for me of where things stand at the bye right now. And, you know, you encapsulated that Philly game perfectly because yes, I think the officiating was bad and points were left off the board as a result of that for the bills. But if Tyler Bass makes two field goals or even one field goal in regulation of the two that he missed, maybe we're talking about a different game. If James Cook reels in that wide open touchdown pass that that Allen laid so perfectly at his hands and stride, we're probably having a different conversation. It's always a confluence of the most adversity for the Buffalo Bills, game in and game out. It's not just the refs one game and then the Bills making mistakes another game. It's all of it, all at once, all the time, every game. It's the team not executing. It's the officials not calling a good game. It's McDermott not coaching a good game. We are at a place where if Josh doesn't play a perfect game, we are a unit that doesn't have a chance right now with the way that we are performing, but also the way that the the flow of the game seems to be coming at us. So I think, yes, I I think the Bills have a chance. And I think coming out of the bye, it is squarely on the shoulders of McDermott to find a way to get this team juiced up. Here, here's what is not happening. This team has not quit on the field on McDermott. That defense is undermanned, and they are balling out as much as they can. 
Uh, that second half against Philly to me felt inevitable. I think they made some really good adjustments and McDermott just did not have the personnel levers to pull to, to scheme up something to stop them. Um, so I, I, so I think, yes, coming out of the bye that is on McDermott and I think McDermott can get them there because this team overall is still playing hard. They're playing as hard as they can on the field. You know, JJ, coming out of the bye, I, I was also kind of hoping that we might hear that McDermott might be turning over defensive play calling to Bobby Babich. Um, because I think one of the things, and, and, and you know, this is kind of skipping ahead to where we want to be in the segment, but I think one of the things that could hurt the Bills coming out of the bye is the continued regression that we've seen from McDermott as a head coach this year. And there is no doubt he can get guys to play for him. But we have talked about this from a statistical measure and from a like eyeball test measure. McDermott is flubbing it more than he has before in use of timeouts, end of game management situations. You have 20 seconds left on the clock oh against God. Philly and a timeout, and Josh Allen has gone for 400 total <laughs> yards. I, I would yeah. take the 20, I would well, take the 20 seconds. Not to mention also, you're the victim of 13 seconds. Right. You but know it can be done. Basically, broadcasting to the world that you think sh- that pa- Patrick Mahomes is a better quarterback than your quarterback is what you're saying. By kneeling it out with 20 seconds and a timeout, you have more time and a timeout. And by using a timeout to ice the kicker, which is still like, I, I would love to dive deep into the statistics and find out if that has ever worked in the NFL or like, how would you know? Right. There's no way to know if a kicker is going to hit the kick before they line up for a second after your timeout or not. Like, yeah, the stats are muddled on freezing the kicker. Yeah. It's it will not only they're muddled, they're impossible. It's impossible to measure whether or not that's effective. Right. Unless, unless we look at situations where the timeout is called a second before the snap happens, the snap action happens and the kicks actually goes. And then we compare the pre, you know, um, timeout result to the post timeout freeze result. That's right. the only way that you can actually figure out if it would be effective. And just as like a casual watcher of football, I feel like the times I've seen that kickers might, you know, I'm just thinking of a few games that were decided like that. The kicker missed the field goal when the, of the snap happened but the timeout precluded and then made the the post timeout you know uh kick like i, I just remember seeing that a hundred times in in my life and be like, didn't work you know? yeah and, uh, and to me there's a, a practice kick yeah and, yeah and there's a different calculus that mcdermott needs to make there and and i just i have never seen mcdermott do this like if i'm mcdermott and I've got Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Mitch Morse on the sideline. I know Philly. I know Philly is going to go for that field goal. And yep. I am going to assume that they are going to make it, even though it's a 59-yarder. I am saving that timeout. And while Philly is rushing onto the field to try to kick a hurried field goal, I am pulling in my team captains, Josh, Diggs, Morse, Davis. And I'm saying they effed up because we have two timeouts, 20 seconds, and you guys. That kick goes through. You guys, we're not taking it to OT. You guys are going to go out and win that game for us. Get down the field, just like in Detroit last yep. year. Get down the field in like 14 seconds, and you're going to kick this field goal. We're going to walk home. Like, that's yep. it. Absolutely. That's it. That's how this is going to go. Right? But he 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 doesn't he do that. He coaches scared. He coaches to not lose. 
and, and that and this is the thing, right? Like I think your the question you pose, like, will this team get up to play? Absolutely, I think the team will get up to play. My larger concern is, will our coach be ready to take us through a very tough, challenging, and adverse stretch yeah. that this team is going to be facing? He feels he listen. End of game situations have always been questionable with McDermott. This year, he feels spread so thin because of these defensive play calling responsibilities that he has chosen to take on. I really do feel like at this point where we're at, the question isn't about the guys on the roster, because I think they're going to ride or die no matter what, especially those guys on defense. They know, and we'll talk about this, they know a lot of them are not coming back next season. They know this is the last ride. My question really is about the head coach, and does he have the the bandwidth to get this team through this stretch while still taking on these intense play calling responsibilities. Again, the thing that I have wanted to see come out of the bye is that Bobby Babich is our, our play caller. He's a young up and coming defensive mind. He has done a great job as our linebacker coach. Look at the, look at Bernard, look at the development of Milano, like Babich around the league is heralded as one of these really young kind of savant defensive minds the, the next future head coach of someone's franchise. And um, and I, I just feel like we took a shot on Brady, a young play caller on offense. We should be doing the same on defense to free up McDermott to really shore up where he has been falling short this season. And I, I doubt it's going to happen, but that's the big thing. I don't think it's the guys on the roster. I think it's going to be the coach. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, I'm with you. I really worry about it because I think that, you know, that's that's the part that, you know, the the voices in Bill's Mafia and around the league that say, you know, why would you ever move on from a, um, you know, from a successful coach are starting to, you know, th those ones are starting to get quieter. And the voice is saying he's a coach who can do great things, but cannot do the, you know, the the top of the mountain things. He cannot get them over the hump. He cannot do this. He cannot. He's a Schottenheimer, you know, he's a, he's a coach that does well at making, you know, teams and cultures and building a good locker room and, and having a good program that's strong and, and kind of precise. But then at the clutch moments is not the kind of, of captain that you need, who's going to, you know, bring your team through, who's going to kick an onside um, kickoff uh, in the Super Bowl to start the second half unexpected by everyone to to win one like Sean Payton. And that's a, that's a thing right now is like I think that initially I, th I was kind of laughing at the Broncos situation and Sean Payton. He's actually turned a, a middling roster into a competitive team. They've they've been on a heater and I think that's the reflection of a coach who's willing to kind of take some chances and pull some levers. Um and Sean McDermott just I don't know. I don't, I don't know man. I'm I know I'm I've been one of the ones who's afraid of, you know, do we, you know, do we walk away from Sean Dermott? Because I can promise you it can be so much worse. Like, that's my biggest reservation. Um, and, of course, I want it to be better. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, what's what's stopping him? He always talks about after games like this, he's always like, oh, it comes back to me. I have to be better. But then we see time and time and time again that he doesn't learn from his mistakes. He doesn't get more aggressive. He continues to coach scared. He gave up, I think it was like six or seven consecutive um, completions to the sidelines in the fourth quarter to the Eagles. As The thing you know you can't yes. do. Yes, 
And well, and that's the thing is like, he, like, it's almost like he takes the wrong lesson from close losses. Like the lesson apparently he learned from 13 seconds is that you can't leave the middle of the field open because they can get up and spike it too fast. And like, they're going to move, you know, they're going to beat you in the middle. So now he like covers the middle and leaves the sidelines on, you know, he uses inside leverage on the, on his outside covers. And they just basically took everything outside short um, and moved it down. And like every snap, the Eagles were able to get their, their player with the ball to the sideline. And like, that's just like, what are you doing? Like, clearly if you're this brilliant defensive coordinator, how are you do, how are you letting them basically move the ball down the field in small chunks, always with the sideline, never taking more than seven or eight seconds per snap? Well, it was senseless too, because he was also bringing five or six guys on the pass rush. So he had on the outside, our DBs giving an insane cushion on the sidelines yep. while also bringing pressure with five or six up the middle. It was, it was easy for her. It was easy Hertz for was Hertz just throwing he was underneath throwing quickly. to the open guy underneath and we were forcing him to do it. And he was taking what we gave him. It was, I, it was insane. It was the opposite of how well schemed that first half was, right. how poorly that, that fourth quarter well, was. Yeah. And that's exactly it is like, he came up, like, I will never say that he's not a good coach as a leader of men and CEO of a football operation. I think he's an excellent coach at that. I think he's a very, very good defensive coordinator and defensive play caller for the most part. He came up with an excellent scheme to completely stifle one of the best offenses in the league for a half. Um, he wasn't able to kind of have a counterpunch when they came with a different plan. And I think that that was largely because of his personnel. Von Miller was getting roasted around the edge when DeAndre Swift was running the ball. Um, show, so was AJ Epineza on a few snaps. Like, they were basically like they switched up their their run design and they started hitting the bills where it hurts and he didn't have the personnel to fix it. And so I get that. I kind of give him a pass on that. But the thing that bothers me the most about Sean McDermott is that he is he kind of sticks on the thing that he thinks is the answer and he's unwilling. He's stubborn. That's my problem. Okay, I've summed it all up into one thing. Sean McDermott is stubborn. He is stubborn that freezing the kicker works. He's stubborn that playing for overtime is a, is a strategy. He's stubborn that, you know, giving up the touchdown is the worst thing that can happen. So you should trade, you know, short yardage for, for time. Those are things that are like characteristics of the way he calls games that he's stubborn about. And it's almost like no matter how many times he's taught the lesson in these close losses, that that doesn't work. He'll just continue going back to it. Yeah. So, JJ, I think it begs the question, if the Bills are going to go on a run, what are some of the things that we need to say, see maybe change with this team? Because I'm, I'm not confident that it's going to be leaning into McDermott's ability to learn from his mistakes, because you're right. While he says it ad nauseum at the end of every, every devastating Bills loss, it, we don't only see the same thing repeated. We see it regress and we see it get worse from week to week. And again, I think this season it is squarely because of the extra responsibilities that he has taken on. And if I were him, I would give those up. But I, there are some there are some things that are going well for this team that I think could help propel them to a playoff to a playoff berth. But then there are also things, and I would say McDermott is one of those things that could keep them from potentially reaching those heights. So JJ, why don't we dive into it there? So this Philly game has put us in a place where we are now 500 heading into the bye week. 
um, and then going on a murderer's row stretch. We now have Kansas City. We have Dallas. We have the LA, the LA Chargers, which they always play on the dumbest games. I'm going to tell you right now, the Philly Bills game, candidate for game of the year, the Bills Chargers game is likely going to be a candidate for dumbest game of yeah, the year because Staley and McDermott are going to try to outdumb each other yes. that entire freaking yes. game. Yeah. Then we have new, we've got New England in the mix there, and then of course we finish up in Miami, where that game may mean nothing to them other yep. than potential seeding or the the chance to knock the Bills out so they don't have to face them again in the postseason. So, so lots at stake. And it's definitely a, a tougher schedule than that 2021 final stretch run was. But JJ, if the Bills are going to make the playoffs here, what are some of the reasons that you think they'll be able to go on a successful run and make it to the postseason? Um, I think that one of the biggest reasons is is Josh Allen. Period. End of statement. Yep. You know, so yep. he 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 played like we he played like the Josh Allen we know love and have missed for for portions of the season. I think that the biggest thing I've noticed with Joe Brady is, and I think a lot of people have like talked about this. There was even like a uh, cartoon in the Buffalo News of the charging Buffalo logo with the red stripe, and it was like being cut, like clipped as if it was a leash holding the Bills back. Um, and it was referencing the the change from uh you know. Um, from Dorsey to Joe Brady. And I think that that's the thing that we're seeing that is the biggest, that is the biggest positive for this team is they need, the defense desperately needs the offense to play from ahead. Most of the Philly game, the defense had an advantage in that Philadelphia had to try to do some things uncomfortably because the Bills had a lead. And I think that the big change in the second half, Philly saying, okay, we are behind. We're behind by multiple scores, but we have to run the ball because they are shutting down our passing attack and they are getting too much pressure. Um, that's what brought them back into the game. And the Bills offense desperately needs to play defense by being aggressive offense. They just need to build up a lead and let their defense go after the quarterback because that's the strength of this team. Um, that is one thing that gets me gives me hope for the, the stretch run. Josh Allen, the offense, getting things done. Um, I think that they also, you know, uh, the offensive line, like, you know, me, I love offensive line play. I am so impressed with this offensive line. I think other than a few snaps here and there of Osiris Torrance versus some top tier competition in the Philly game, they had a super clean game in the offensive line. They were able to get some rushing lanes going a little bit. It's a, against a difficult defense. Um, they were able to get Josh Allen involved with his legs. It was, you know, they've been top two or three. Um, offensive line in terms of pressure rate, pressure percentage, sack rate, and sacks uh, when it comes to pass protection. And they're top five, maybe just outside the top five in in rushing. They have one of the highest yards before first contact for running backs, which is excellent. And I you know, I know that Bills Mafia is a little bit frustrated at times with propensity to run and, and running, especially like the, the um, shotgun draw play to – Latavius Murray straight up the gut with no blocker ahead of him is like great. Some of the tackle wrap stuff with Deion Dawkins we've talked about um, is awesome. It seems to work you know most of the time, and so I think that those are some you know th there's some hope there um, with the improved offensive line. The offense is the hope. That's how they can go on a run. Um, Kansas City's offense is actually pretty far behind the Bills in a lot of ways. 
Um, but Kansas City's defense is pretty far ahead of the Bills. This is probably the first time since Sean McDermott has been in Buffalo that Kansas City's defensive secondary is better than Buffalo's. Yeah, they can they can the Chiefs offense can be got, I think, for the first time in the McDermott era. Dude, do, doesn't like just a quick side sidebar doesn't this afc playoff picture feel so weird this year like you've got jacksonville who plays solid defense but their offense can't find a rhythm and they they've never proven anything before other than that comeback win against again the dumbest team in the league in the la chargers um then you've got baltimore who seems disinterested in playing football most weeks and they just kind of like string it together and they go through the motions and somehow find a way to win. They just turn it out of the second yeah. half and play like one quarter of good football. Like, right. I think that's the thing that's also funny is like, we're talking about, you know, possibly sh- firing Sean McDermott. There are so many fan bases who are experiencing the same crap. We're the exact same thing where they're watching their team, like middling the chiefs, like Patrick Mahomes, uncharacteristic turnovers in a constant basis. Like, it's a lot of yeah. yeah. The Dolphins, Chief, the Dolphins, not beating any team above five hundred still, right? And and while their defense is playing good, they're playing good against mediocre competition, and and the offense people seem to have figured out that offense. We'll see what happens this week against. Um, we'll see what happens this week for them with Achan coming back. But right. I mean, that that offense teams do not seem to be afraid of it anymore. And you've got Tariq Hill battling lower body injuries. That this year it feels like that the team in the AFC that gets the first round by the one seed feels like the only team in the top four that is certain to move on. This really does feel yeah. like a season where in the wild card round you could see the five, six, and seven seeds all provide road upsets and move on to the divisional round. Wouldn't that um, be great if one of them was the Buffalo Bills? Wouldn't that be great? Which is a, a great way to jump back into this. So, JJ, I think you laid out perfectly why the bills can go on a run here and and i think the reasons why on my side of the coin why they won't we've already talked about mcdermott who i think we're going to talk about a little bit more here and moving on but his regression as a head coach with his in-game decision making has been on full display uh that philly game included but again you look at the the record in one score games and when you get into the postseason you're only playing good teams and most of those games are going to be one score games it really does weigh on you. Does McDermott have the bandwidth to change up the way he's been managing these situations that have caused directly caused the Bills to lose games? And I think, JJ, the other reason is no secret because we also tapped this as a reason why the Bills would not make a Super Bowl run this year. It was the age of the defense, potential in, relying on players that were coming back from injury, um, and the potential deterioration of that roster due to age and injury as the year went on. We said it in the preseason. Unfortunately, we were correct, and this is also a reason why this team may be held back from from a postseason berth, because this defense, while it can play good in stretches, does not have the personnel and depth to make a lot of adjustments. And I also think, too, JJ, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean again into McDermott here. I think some of the personnel groupings have been highly questionable. You mentioned Von Miller, who may not be factoring into our end of season plans because of the domestic abuse situation right now that he is currently under investigation for his play on the field would indicate a guy that is not fully healthy and not able to contribute but jordan phillips getting the snap share that he is getting over a guy like puna ford too seems insane to me all jordan phillips really does 
is like try to get the crowd juiced up by waving his arms. And beyond that, he's been a non-factor. And he does penalties and he gets turned out of his gap on critical rundowns. Like that's all he does. He just gets pushed out of his gap on the critical rundowns because he lets the he lets the opponent uh, opponent offensive line get under his pads and move him aside. Like I, I cannot understand for the life of me why he is getting snap share away from Puna Ford, who I granted was still figuring out the scheme, right? But and now is in mothballs. He's been Kair Elamed. Yes. But Puna Ford, Tim Settle, and Linval Joseph, who's looked great in limited reps for the Bills. Give, so give Linval Joseph all of Jordan all Phillips. of the Jordan Phillips snaps. Well, and and maybe they are because Linval Joseph is still in his preseason, right? He's played two games off the yeah. couch, so maybe he's getting up to football shape and and his getting his wind up. I would be fine if if Ed Oliver got more than two thirds of all the defensive snaps against Philly. I'd be fine if Linval Joseph got this a similar snap number and was in there all the time. Additionally, right. I like I'll tell you this. The best four that they could probably put on the field are um, Leonard Floyd, Ed Oliver, Greg Rousseau, except inside. Yeah, Yeah. Greg Rousseau inside, and then AJ Epineza. Put that on the field, and then as as you have to rotate the third person of Shaq Lawson, um, Rousseau or with uh, Epineza and Floyd. Like that's 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 what you should be working with. Yes. And then everyone else on your defensive line should be a, an emergency replacement only if somebody needs a breather. Like, just keep those five kind of cycling through, and then everybody else is, is there just in case. Puna Ford, he can get some snaps. He can get one of those one-third shares in the inside. But, like, honestly, right. I think Jordan Phillips is... Well, and there's all this stuff with, like, Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson, I guess, like, threatening fans or fans threatening them. Like, And it's the kind of yeah, thing where, like... Nonsense yeah, probably. you can't... Like I get, I get it that fans can, especially I've said this. The, the you know Philly fans are scary. They're not just intense; they're scary. They're um, the worst. Many, yeah. many, you know, different sports. Uh, many different athletes in different sports have said that about Philly. Um, so I'm not talking out of my ass here. Uh, but I think that it's the kind of thing where, um, I, I don't see it on the field from Jordan Phillips. I don't see his contributions to this defensive effort other than waving his arms in the air, and it just. I didn't yeah, I think don't know, I don't get it. I didn't think he was great. I think we talked about it when he left the team the first time that his like huge sack numbers were all just like luck sacks. None of them mm-hmm. were skill sacks. Um and him coming back, I think he had a, he's had a couple of nice splash plays here and there, but every other snap if you watch him closely, he's just getting blown up. Yeah. He's a he's a total liability on the interior of that defensive line. Um and they just they they've got they've got to bench him like they've got to swap out Puna Ford's spot on the inactive list with Jordan Phillips, and they've got to see what they've got with Joseph, a rotation of Settle Ford and and uh, Joseph because Phillips is not Phillips is not the answer. I mean, yeah, I agree. I was I'm sorry to step on your take. I was just gonna say also, especially with everything going on with the domestic violence situation, um, which at this point the. Uh, respondent has basically said that they're they're recanting everything, and so I don't know what's going to happen there. But with all that, even after we come back from the bye, put Von Miller inactive and bring Puna Ford, right? Like Jordan mm-hmm. Phillips can have a he can have a jersey on game day. Give his snaps away, please. Yeah, Miller. It 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 may be a rush to judgment to say Miller looks cooked, 
and that he's not going to recover, but I don't think it's that much of a rush. This is his second second big lower body knee injury that he's suffered in his career. He's, he's 34, 34, 35. No, he just turned he's 30, 35. just turned 35, right? Yep. Um, yeah, the young, plucky Buffalo Bills no. defense here. Um, and, and listen, they cannot, pending what happens with the personal conduct policy as it relates to this allegation, they can't get out of the guaranteed money they owe him next year. So they can get out of it the year following, but they are financially tied to this guy. Um, so I see, I see the sense in them hoping they can get something out of him. But I think, you know, go back, uh, go back to last year, Leslie Frazier, I think was a little prophetic when he made a very confusing comment that I know confused a lot of fans at the time during preseason, where he said they were going to find the right situations to use Miller. And I think everybody assumed that, well, Miller is going to be our starting edge and he's going to get a majority of the snap share and all this other stuff. But you and I said, I think this team understands where Miller is at in, in his career. And I think towards the end of the season, we likely see him as a third down closing specialist in, in um, clear passing plays. And I, I think the injuries have probably accelerated the the path to that point for him because i no longer think miller at least this year is a viable starter for this team he's not getting healthier he's not getting better and there are other options that they need to go to that are more productive on that unit well and uh, i'm i'm correcting myself because i just looked it up he is 34 he turned 34 in march so and he's going to be 35 yeah, next he'll year. he'll be 35 yeah, next year before season, the so. start of the season yes where he's owed 17. yeah four million which like um you know if he's removed from the, the NFL by via the personal conduct policy and the, you know, um, owner's exemption list, the bills don't owe that money and all of a sudden get back in the cap, which would be something, but yep. we'll see, we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We, will. we, we will absolutely keep an eye on that, uh, that situation as it develops. But, um, so yeah, so JJ, again, in summary, it's all on Josh Allen and this offense to help yep. lift this team to a run. And they may have to do it in spite of, a defense that is deteriorating doesn't seem to have the right personnel mix, even for the guys that are healthy and a head coach who is just, he's really, really struggled this season and does not seem to be any closer to figuring out how to get out of that rut. So there's a couple of things working against the bills, but we are all, all putting our hopes in our Lord and savior, Josh Allen. So, um, so JJ, we are now moving on from the Philly game and the, the impact that that has on Bill's playoff soaps. We are in the bye week, and the bye week is a great time to kind of reflect, sit back, take stock of the situation as it is. Now, in Buffalo, there's a couple of things, I think, that have popped up from a local beat writer standpoint and a national media standpoint around this team. Um, cause that's what happens during the buy. You have a lot of time to sit back and think about things that are not game related. And there are some clear themes that have come up. One is McDermott who, and what his status for the future is going to be. And I want to hold that to the end cause we've spent a lot of time with him so far. Um, but there's a couple of other things that have, have kind of gotten people reflecting on where this bill's roster stands. And regardless of what happens with a playoff run, what it's going to look like in the future. And JJ, a lot of that I think starts with. What is the future of the core DBs that Kate, that reigned in the McDermott era? And of course, we're talking about Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, all pro po, and Trey White, who has now seen himself 
back on injured injured reserve as a result of yet another lower body injury, this time in Achilles. These are three guys, two via free agency in Hyde and Poyer and one via the draft in Trey White that have really helped to establish the culture of this team. But I think it was on full displays with higher with Hyde and Poyer, JJ, in that Eagles game that those two guys have maybe lost a step and are no longer the viable every snap starters that we have come to rely on them to be. And that leaves the Bills in a really, really hard place because that safety position from a roster standpoint is pretty weak right now. You've got Rap, I think, on a one-year contract. You've got DeMar Hamlin, who you have basically, again, put on the inactive list for all but two games this season. Um, there is not a lot that they can fall back on um, in the future. So you're talking about starting over with that unit. And then Trey White, who, as his career has gone on, has really become a technician and a very skilled technician of the cornerback position, but was never the most athletically gifted in that role. Now dealing with another injury that is really going to adversely impact his athletic ability on the field. Which was already somewhat lacking. So he exactly. cannot afford to lose any steps. And mm -hmm. it's like we covered before. Uh, it's like a 22% chance in the history of the NFL for a CB to return to starter status after this yeah. injury. Like that's, it does not happen to yeah. the 10 of them actually ever start again after having that injury. Recovery. Yeah. So it begs the question, you know, if the bills don't make the playoffs, will this be the last time that we see Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer and Trey white don a bills uniform? Is this the end of an era? Well, um, Hyde's contract is up at the end of the season. Poyer signed for a second year, but it's... So they can, they can yeah, get, they out, can of get it. out of it. It's yeah. not guaranteed. It's basically a void yeah. year, yeah. I actually think that what they'll do is they'll keep... I think they might... Um, here's, here's what I think will happen. They will set a price for Micah Hyde. They'll say, if you want to continue playing football in the NFL, this is what we think your value is. And, and they will let, they will let that be a spot. You know, I think that they'll, they, he's given too much to this team. He's been, um, you know, as everybody knows, he's beloved in Buffalo. He's been an amazing center fielder for the team in that deep, you know, deep safety, deep free safety position. And I think that there will be a roster spot offered, but I think it's going to be on the cheap. It's not going to be vet minimum, but it's going to be somewhere around what Poyer was given for this year, for this year's contract. Um, and they'll, they'll kind of probably put that out there and say, okay, you can test the market, but if you want to come back and, and, and play with us, here's, here's the number. And I like that about Brandon Bean. He doesn't usually overpay for aging veterans. Um, he lets the, he lets the market determine, uh, what kind of he's willing to pay. I think that they'll do that because I think that they will give the option for Poirier and Hyde to return next year, but also think there's a chance that even as much as the, you know, McDermott being, they've shown that they have loyalty to their own guys. They tend to keep them around. Um, there's a chance that through the draft or via free agency, depending on who becomes available, they might upgrade. And then it becomes a training camp battle for either of the veteran uh, safeties on the roster. There's also the opportunity for um, somebody like Cam Lewis, who was tried safety a little bit in this training camp. Um, they've started kind of pulling some of those levers to see if there is an upgrade or a younger player to get in there. 
Similarly, Taylor Rapp, I think that he has not really shown that much um, in the safety position. He's looked like a liability in some regards. They've brought him in as sort of a positionless player occasionally, and he's looked a little better. But I think that when they've given him the full responsibility of getting everyone lined up and, um, you know, covering his, you know, the back back third or or playing that kind of two deep shell uh, that the Bills like to run, he has he has kind of suffered a little bit in that. So, you know, I don't know. I think that, like I said, it's really unlikely. It's difficult to get out of White's contract um, this year. Um because there is some dead cap there, but I think there's also a savings about 10 million. Hyden, it's 10, it's 10 yeah. million against the cap. Yeah. So you, you incur some dead cap, but you save 10 overall and net 10. That's, that's really interesting. Um, it's the, significant. Yeah. yeah. The other thing about Trey white is like, often people will say, Oh, a cornerback who is a technician should make a good safety. Trey white is not overly physical. He's not the player who's going to trigger downhill and blow stuff up. And so I think that that's probably not going to be in his cards. Um, I think that a player, like, if they get anything out of Kyrie Elam in the corner position, um, somebody like Benford could be an interesting uh, move to safety. Um, but, you know, I really like Benford, Rasul Douglas, uh, and um, some of the snaps that we've seen from from Cam Lewis in the slot. Of course, Teron Johnson's still under contract, just signed an extension. So there's some pieces there. But yeah, I think that in terms of your question, your prompt, uh, Poyer Hyde, White, um, we could probably see none or all of them on the roster. Uh, so that's not an answer. But I think it's likely that, like I said, expect uh, you know Hyde to be allowed to test the market and come back on a very, very team-friendly deal if he if there's no suitors. He's old, he's got an injury history, and he's looked slow. Yeah, I, you know, and it's hard to know, but I think the Bills are going to prioritize re-signing Razul Douglas because he's played great for them. He's still on he contract. Bring... He has he has next oh, year on him. Yeah, yeah they have... They, he, they... It's, an, it's a non-guaranteed year, that's right. But they did take... they. T- the full contract from green bay so That's he's right. got he's got one more uh one more year on his deal they don't they don't have, i mean he could sit out but they have his his rights That's right they do and so they could look at potentially extending him to lessen his cap hit for the upcoming mm-hmm. season Yes but um which i think they're going to prioritize with him but um it is it's hard for me to believe that Poyer and Hyde will both be back in a starting capacity for this team which is why i think if you re-sign Douglas you potentially move on from Trey White. You've got Benford, and hopefully Kyrie Elam figures some stuff out, and you look to the draft to really yep. get younger, more athletic, and faster at that position. I think the thing that the that would really help a young defensive roster that is going to turn over in multiple places next season is going to be having some raw athleticism and speed. You're going to have Milano coming back. If they make a playoff run, Rumor has it that Milano might come back for the playoff run, which would be amazing. Oh but God. he's also going to be another year older next year. He's going to be yep. 32 next year, yeah. I think, and coming off of back-to-back seasons where he's battled injury. So the clock is ticking there. You've got a lot in Bernard. You've got Dorian Williams, who's got raw speed and athleticism. I think I want to see the Bills lean in to some raw athleticism and speed at some of these positions that 
they value in their scheme and bring in some guys that fit that. I also, man, I love Hyde and Poyer. I love, they are to me, the two guys aside from Allen and Diggs that have built this culture to where it is, but as a business decision, it feels like it's time to move on from them. They are presenting themselves as liabilities and we saw it on display in the Eagles game. Um, I've never seen, I've never seen Hyde get beat. Like he got beat on both of those touchdowns. Unreal. Like in and, and one of them, he was in, you know, and on the rewatch of all 22, he was, he was put in an impossible position where Christian, uh, or Terrell Bernard did not squeeze, did not drip backwards far enough. So it made the throw much easier to get there much faster. So that on one of those scores, he was in a really tough position, put in conflict. On the other score, this the one where he and Poyer met at the ball and neither of them could break up the pass. I I feel like last year, even two years ago, one of them would have picked that ball. Like they just Absolutely. More quickness at the point, the catch point faster, able to kind of get in there and, and kind of, you know, position themselves um instead of scrambling to catch up. Yeah. So it you know, so it your take is they'll be back in a respectful financially managed way. And I'm saying, I don't, I don't know that we can afford that. Um, especially where the cap situation is. Well, and I think that them being back on a, on a manage manageable contract, that's, you know, cause it's gotta be respectful. They're veterans. They have a number of recruit of seasons. It can't be like the vet minimum deal, right? Like they've they put their blood, sweat and tears into this thing. Um, if, the Bills find a way to re- to extend Daquan Jones, neither of them will probably. But do we do we want to do yes, that? Like that? Do. Do, but, yes, we so do. Yes, we do. So he's gonna. So he. I get it. He's Man, going he's, to reclaim the meteoric season he was he was starting on. He was on a heater, and we've got even two years. Two years. Give me two years of of an, of an older Daquan Jones. He's thirty three. But this is what I'll say. That's the defensive line position is one you can play into. Like, look at Linval Joseph. Like, you can play really get, long into that. your life, and and because you don't need to be fast, you can you need to be quick, right. you need to be strong, and those are two things that stay with age pretty well. This is and this is what I'm saying. If if there's no way that they're going to get two starting caliber safeties and a starting caliber one technique defensive tackle in one draft or one free agency period with the cap situation there's no, no way I get, listen yeah i get listen i get it bean would have to hit hit on a draft in a way that he has never hit on a draft before in order for that to happen i, I day fe- one I starters in the that. third round is what i'm talking that's what he would have to get yeah, you'd have to get like day one yeah. starters in one two and three i i at, listen i absolutely hear you i but do we want to invest more money and like we said this we said this at the beginning of the season after you battle injuries, and we've lost to Quan Jones now at the end of last season to injury, and then at the beginning of the season to injury for one game guys, last season, one game. right, but right. It matters, but but, but it, it matters because yeah. it was a it was a game we got our asses yes. handed to yeah. us. But guys don't get healthier as they get older. So is the answer maybe retaining Puna Ford or some something to that effect? I listen. I I get what you're saying, yeah. and they're going to have a lot of holes on this this defensive roster. They're going to have to bring back somebody. I totally get what you're saying. As long as it's not Jordan Phillips, I don't care. Right, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, it, to bring back, to hope that Daquan Jones is going to be a productive starter. I mean, maybe we'll see it if we make a playoff run because he's another one rumored to be rehabbing well. He's actually been seen around the facility 
which I think has been great, which which is usually an indication that he is ready to come back or ready to open that window. I I could get on I could absolutely get on board with with where you're at with that. I well, agree. And they're gonna have to do yeah. something. Yeah. Well, and what I'll say too is like, yeah, I mean, you can talk all you want about, you know, injury regression, age, injuries more more constant with age. Kyrie Elam's on injured reserve right now. He's young as hell. You know, like that's it doesn't injuries are he, not a variable you can is control. He, is he really injured? Do we think I mean, like, he's really think injured? He, I, <laughs> Do we think, can he's we got, dig into the, the conspiracy bag a little bit? He's got the one? old <laughs> suck a kiss injury. He's just like a real bad football player. <laughs> right now he is. Absolutely. It's, it's, he's Absolutely. he's he's got his bro he's he's got a broken talent. Um <laughs> he's got, but, oh, he's a broken spirit. Yes. <laughs> can you put that yeah, on the injury yeah, report? He's, he's got a he's yeah. got a sprained skill and ability. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. but like, yeah. that's, that's, I guess the point I was getting to is that yes, injury is worse with, it gets worse with age players get lose more time to injure to more games and time to injury. The older they get in the, in the league, that's all trackable. But when I look at Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde's play on the field compared to Daquan's Jones mm-hmm. play on the field through four games, I want that guy. We'll give that guy a year or two years of a contract just to see what we have left. If you told me we were getting that back, of course, I think anyone would sign up for that. Oh, really? Um, Yeah. So, so, but that, that's one that I think JJ is reasonable to think about is the, the end of the, the Hyde Poyer and potentially white era that really rang it, rang in this run that the Buffalo Bills have been on. But you have also, I think, nicely segued into uh, another point of conversation, and it's a really a point of reality that Bill's Mafia has been has been wrestling with this week, which is with all this time we have to think, we've been thinking about what if the Bills fail to make the playoffs? Other than the extraordinary agonizing emotions we're going to be going through, what does it mean for this team moving forward next season to get back to the postseason? And I think you've touched on something that's really important. What is this defensive roster going to look like? Because I think, and I think it's fair, Bean has caught a lot of heat for the roster construction, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, and the lack of rookie contracts that are producing were present on the defensive side of the ball, and the extraordinary amount to the highest clip in the league of the amount of veteran money that he has tied up in that defense while also paying a franchise QB, a quarter billion dollar valued guaranteed contract. So JJ, what do you think if the bills fail to make the playoffs this season? And it might not, might not even hinge on that, but if they fail to make the playoffs, what does this defensive roster look like? And what are some steps that you think Bean is going to take to turn it over next season? I think that, um, you know, we mentioned the defensive backfield. I think there's a big shuffle there. I think that, you know, with Ed Oliver and Greg Rousseau, the only two players under contract going through next season on the defensive line. So there's, oh, and Vaughn Miller, of course, we'll see how that all shakes out. So there's two levels of the defense that are critical need of new blood, um, defensive line and defensive backfield. The linebacker, depth right now is not great but it's the kind of thing that i think that with you know terrell bernard uh healthy matt milano and dorian williams i think you have a good three and then you probably want to add a veteran backup who is not aj Klein. 
Um, and my reason for not AJ Klein is, is again, you just want to get younger. You want to like bet on traits and, and try to like get somebody who's on the upswing of their career. Like they did in 2017 when they signed Poyer and Hub, right? Like these were third string, fourth string special teamer guys who just needed an opportunity to get on the field and try some things. Hopefully that, you know, Bobby Babbage can, can weigh in on those decisions and, and help the professional, the um, personnel scouting department to find somebody who, who may be buried on a depth chart, but has some capacity and some potential who's on the right side of, you know, their, their twenties rather than thirties. And uh, that's what I think you want to do. You want to invest in maybe one linebacker later in the draft and then one through free agency just for depth to, to give you some um, snaps on special teams, that sort of thing. I also wouldn't mind Terrell Dodson, you know, back as long as he's not a starter. I think that's a liability right now. Um, for this team, but as a depth piece, he's not, you know, he's probably a pretty solid depth piece when you look across rosters in the league. Uh, but again, on the front line, I think that, you know, I like to get Daquan Jones back. I'd like to be able to line him up next to Ed Oliver. Um, we'll see about Puna Ford, Tim Settle, you know, Jordan Phillips. I think that I'd be fine with all three of them um, walking after this season. And I do think that there's an opportunity to invest young there. Uh, but I would like to see Jones lined up next to Oliver as the one and two starting. Greg Russo at defensive end, Avon Miller at the other defensive end. AJ Epineza is up for a contract, so we'll see what happens there. Um, AJ Epineza has an interesting kind of track because he may get double digit sacks, and we know that sacks production gets you paid in the offseason. So he might leave on kind of a Tremaine Edmonds deal where he gets way overpaid. Bills just are not, they don't have the capacity one or don't have the interest to in bringing him back. But we'll see with AJ Epinesa. I'd like to have him back. I think he's, you know, on a, the kind of trajectory where he might develop into a solid every down starter um, at defensive end. Um, and I think Shaq Lawson is another one of those, you know, I don't know if he's still under contract after this year, but I wouldn't. He's not. I wouldn't mind him being there for depth, but like he, he's gotten beat. The thing that was his calling card when the bills drafted him out of Clemson, was it Clemson? Clemson. Yeah. yeah. When they drafted him in the first round on a Clemson, when Rex Ryan was here um, and Shaq Lawson was playing with Rex Ryan's son at Clemson. Uh, they, the thing that he was, was he was expected to be a splash pass rusher, but what he showed up as was an excellent run defender who could occasionally get some pass rush reps um he's still that player or has been but he in his age has been slipping in the run defense a little bit he's he's selling out more to try to get pressure and then make big plays and he's not as disciplined as he was as a younger player and, and you know locking down running lanes holding the edge and so um i think that there's another opportunity there to get young because you have to get young and cheap at defensive it's too bloated right now it's way that too bloated and and that's the point that I think we have arrived at with this defensive roster is, yeah, it'd be nice to keep the Terrell Dodsons and the Shaq Lawsons and all that on the roster. We do not have the salary cap space to do that. And we still need to improve some things on the offensive side of the ball because Gabe Davis is in the last year of his contract. And I get Khalil Shakir has played out of his mind this season. He's but you're a wide gonna receiver be three. Yeah, you're he's, he's you are great wide receiver three. Yes. Yes. You are so you're gonna be looking for potentially, I hope, to replace Gabe Davis. That 
You know, it's so crazy though. They fans rag on Gabe Davis for not showing up. That Jets game where he didn't have a single target, he got the game ball yeah. from the for, club for doing for the dirty blocking. doing the dirty work for blocking the hell out of people. But and that's great. And that's a great dude you want to have in the locker room. That is not a number two wide receiver. So the Bills are gonna have to reinvest in some offensive weapons as well. Um they're probably going to need to reinvest in some depth pieces on the offensive line too. There is just not enough cap space and draft capital to manage all of that and still bring back some of these veteran defensive guys. And again, I think this is this is the piece of criticism that is most fair about Brandon Bean. And we said last year when we did our Super Bowl preview that the Chiefs versus the Eagles was the Bills' past versus the Bills' future as far as how, how you're going to have to build a roster. Because the Eagles were coming in with a QB who was still on a rookie contract at that point in Jalen Hurts, and they had signed all of this hot veteran talent to really bolster their defense and make this run. On the other side of the field, you had the Kansas City Chiefs that I think were playing a record high amount of rookies on both sides of the ball for a Super Bowl contending team. And Bean even after paying his QB has still tried to live in where the Philadelphia Eagles were, which is pay a QB and then also somehow keep all of these bloated veteran contracts. Not to mention that the bills are also what has been their hallmark, which is re-signing their guys. He's given out a lot of money to a lot of players over the years and guarantees. And I think it's fair to say that not a lot of that has necessarily come through in production on the field. And I think, I think of Dawson Knox it is yeah. first and foremost as one of those guys who got an extension from Bean and is not really producing the way that we need him to. He is a great physical blocker and a great chipper at the line of scrimmage, but he is not delivering on the size of the contract and guarantee that he got as okay. a tight end. So you've got bloke from free agents. You've got maybe some questionable decisions about guys that got second contracts from this GM. It, it is time to turn the page on some of these positions and get younger. We are, and we've said this about Bean, he tends to be a year behind when identifying the needs that he really needs to address. We should have turned this thing over last season when we had the opportunity, and we did not. He's got to do it this year because the salary cap cannot contain it anymore. Well, and on top of that, I think that like you know, he finally in 2023 has fixed the line from 2020. Like the offensive line, all the money and resources we've dumped into it. The line that we needed in 2020, we got in 2023. I really hope that the defensive, the fresh young defensive backfield that we need for 2024 doesn't take us till 2026 when the new state. Like that's, that's what I'm most worried about. Yeah. And so, and, and I think that that's, that's another one of my big criticisms of Sean McDermott is that, and, and a huge difference, you know, I want to share just like a quick statistic, um, but a huge difference between Sean McDermott and Andy Reid. Sean McDermott at this stage of his coaching career, Andy Reid in his more advanced stage of his coaching career, having, what, I think two dozen seasons now under his belt, Sean McDermott having seven. Andy Reid is willing, and maybe this is his old age or whatever, he's willing to play rookies. He's willing to give them the chance, just stick them out there and see, let them, you know, fly or float or sink or swim. Um, but John McDermott is like, he is, you know, again, stubborn, stubborn is the word. That's the one I'm, that's the word of the day. Um, he is adverse to yes. playing young talent, adversity playing young talent. 
he likes to punish young talent for mistakes. He is very punitive about it. And like, it, it, that is not the way to build a championship team when you have the massive contract of a franchise top five quarter. You can't do that. You cannot keep veteran players on huge contracts in the, in the, you know, in the fold because you just get 40. You have to start to turn it over. You start, you have to start to trust people in the, in the team to do things for you who are first and second players. And so in that comparison, so Andy Reid first seven seasons with Philly 31 and 23, four and six, and that's 31 and 23 in one score games, including losing a Super Bowl. Um, and four and six in overtime in one score game, losing record in overtime. In his second stint, you know, I broke his time with the Eagles in the first seven seasons because Sean McDermott's been with the Bills. Now this is his seventh and second seven seasons. The second seven seasons is the run that ended up getting Andy Reid fired. In his second seven seasons, in one score games, 26, 36, and one, significantly losing record and then a top. And in his in overtime in those games, oh two and one, what didn't win a single one, and so didn't go didn't go to many of them because he'd lost in in regulation so many times. So that compared to you know um, Sean McDermott, who has again the best you know second best record for, as a coach in Buffalo Bills history, he's sixty eight and forty one, um, and he's like twenty eight and twenty six and twenty six in one score. Game. And 0-6 in overtime with the Bills. Like, that's worse. And like from that time that point in time, Andy Reid has become a much better coach, much better in one one score games, much better in a lot of metrics. And I wonder how much of that is, you know, he got fired. He had to he they moved on from him in Philly because he was not being aggressive. He was not doing the things he he could get him over the hump. And the question that we have with this roster, with this team, and with the the hopeful championship window that Josh Allen has them in right now is can Sean McDermott become year 15 Andy Reid in year eight does he or does he need to be middling and lose close games lose in overtime for another seven years yeah and I I think that I think we have our answer at least conditionally um for next season because this has been the the final thing that a lot of folks have been musing on here during the Bills bye week, which is what happens to McDermott should this team not make the playoffs? And Tim Graham from The Athletic reported from sources that with direct knowledge of uh, Pugula's thinking on this is that there is no chance whatsoever that we move on from McDermott next year. So, and you know, the Andy Reid comp is a really good one, J.J., we have, of course, heard the the Schottenheimer comps as well. And at this stage in a coach's career, it's really hard to know. But I think there is a middle ground for me, a middle ground comp that McDermott as a coach kind of represents and that is or is kind of reflects. And that is Tony Dungy. Um, Tony Dungy, very famously beloved coach. Players always played for him. Could not get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the hump gets fired. They bring in Gruden. Gruden in one season gets them to Super Bowl promised land. Now, Dungy eventually got his with Peyton Manning and the Colts. But I think when you look at not just style of coaching, but the character of the coach as well, and this is not to impugn Schottenheimer or Reed, but when you look at like the 
the background, the principles, the standards, the the sort of stylistic components of the way that, that these guys coach. I think McDermott and Tony Dungy bear a, a familiar resemblance with each other. Now, does that mean I think that eventually McDermott is going to get one? I have no idea. But I think I think it is fair to say that coaches like Dungy and coaches like McDermott, they take a while to they need the absolute right situation in order to build their culture and in order to win. And Dungy found it in Indianapolis. It is an open question whether or not McDermott has found it in Buffalo and how long we're going, we as a fan base and the Pagulas as an ownership structure are going to be willing to tolerate it. Because here is the other thing. The grass is not always greener. We just saw for the second straight season, the Carolina Panthers fire a coach midseason and Frank Reich. Teams time in and time out owners get the head coach hiring process wrong. They get fixated on a great young play caller or a great young mind, and they don't look enough at the guys that need to be sort of that have that CEO mentality around the organization. We have that with McDermott, and it has not been allowed to shine through this season because of the, the self-imposed restrictions McDermott has put on himself, which is the play calling responsibilities of the defensive coordinator. So if the Bills make the playoffs, JJ, I believe McDermott is back next year. And how Bills Mafia feels about that one way or the other is what it is. But I do think that as part of that package, he is going to be required. He needs to be required to hire a defensive coordinator to get play calling off of him so that he can go back to being the CEO that has helped bring in this era of Bills success. And I'll say, I hope that that defensive play caller, and I don't know if he has the play calling ability, right? I hope, I hope it's Bobby Babbage. I think you mentioned it earlier in the pod. That's, I hope it's Babbage too. He's a, he's a proven coach. I believe he's a you know, smart guy. Smart guys tend to do good things and figure things out. I hope he'd be a good defensive play caller. You know, you just get Bobby Babbage in to, to be the defensive play caller, DC, assistant head coach, whatever that is. Eric Washington continues to run the, the D-line. And then you hire Luke Keekley to be new linebackers coach. He's been flirting Go with the it. idea of coming back into the league in, in some capacity. And so we know that um, Sean McDermott has an excellent relationship with, with him. So that could be it. Um, it's interesting you bring up Tony Dungy. I just looked up his stats. He's 208 and 139 in his, I'm sorry, one, he's 208 games coached, 139 and 69.668 win percentage. That's amazing. He's a, he's yeah. a winning culture builder, winning coach. He just couldn't get it done in Tampa Bay yep. and they moved on from him, but I'm glad he got one. Well, he, he's yeah. a good guy. I'm glad he got and one. In seven seasons with Indy, do you, how many seasons did he have less than double digit wins? Just one. I think he only had one, one season with less than double digits. Incorrect. He had no season with less than double digits wins. He, oh my God. He won at yeah. least 10 games in a 16 game season. Every single year he was in good Indy. Good to have Peyton Manning. Yeah. Every year he was in Indy, and that one one year he had ten wins was the only year he had ten wins. Every other year, at least twelve, which is I, wild. So he was not the head coach because I was thinking it was the uh, the season where Manning went down to injury and they lost mm -hmm. him, and then that got them the number one pick to go get Andrew Luck. So no. he was not the coach during that time. Huh, he was, was not the coach there. at that time. I'm not sure. That was 2009, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because yeah, his last season was 2008, and he went 12 and four with Manning. 
So, damn. So did he retire? I got to look that up. Yeah, yeah. I'm no, a big. I'm a big Tony. I, lo- I love I Tony Dungy. Dungy. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I actually, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the Sean McDermott Dungy comp is good. Um, and I, I, and the thing of it is, is like I think Sean McDermott is capable of getting a Super Bowl with this team. I think that Tony Dungy, you know, of course, got one. So it just, I'm with you. Their style, the kind of tense, you know, uptight way of coaching, the coaching not to lose, the super, you know, traditional and kind of restricted way that they approach the game. You, you, ha- you can win and you can win a lot and you can win it all, but it has to break your way. It's, you're never going to make your own luck. Sean McDermott's right. never going to make his own luck. He's going to play strict and regimented in the game. And if things bounce their way, they will win and they could win it all. But he's not going to make his own luck like some of the play, some of the coaches we've seen. And I hate to, I hate to use the men, use this reference, like Belichick. Belichick is the kind of coach who makes luck for his team. He sucks. How dare you? He, cheat, he cheats luck he for cheats. his team. <laughs> he does. He does. Um, but that's one way. Like, he used it. He used so many, throughout his coaching career, how many times has he manipulated the rules for the benefit of his team in a way that was not illegal because he just figured it out, right? Like he just strategized a way to take advantage of some obscure thing about timeouts and special teams play or whatever, um, to give his team an edge. And I think that that's the thing. And like, I, of course I think he's a cheater and he's a terrible coach without Brady, but no, Sean McDermott has Josh Allen and I'm looking for him to, I'm looking for a game and, and like, maybe this is it. This is the, my last thought on Sean McDermott. I'm looking for a game where Sean McDermott does something and I'm like, Ooh, he just outcoached the pants off them. Like, right. Like where he wins it in some incredible fashion. And I look to it and I point to it and I said, that's excellent coaching. That's great coaching. I don't think I've seen it since he's been at the bills. No, we've seen very good coaching, but we haven't seen that moment uh, to me. I, I want that moment to be kind of like what I described that, that fantasy where he realizes that he's got the best offensive roster in the league. And he goes to his franchise QB and he's like, here's 20 seconds and two timeouts, kid. I know you can win this. They effed up. We're not taking this to go OT. Get it. This is on you. Go get it. Right. And I just, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that from him, you know, to, to make that call. I mean, Harbaugh, Jim, <clears throat> um, John Harbaugh in Baltimore, he was on his way out before they drafted Lamar Jackson. Like that, that was a locker room that he had lost. That was uh, a roster he was no longer getting the most out of. They couldn't figure out the QB situation in Baltimore. Enter Lamar Jackson. And what does Harbaugh do in his first few seasons? And it, it, it was noteworthy. It was on SportsCenter. He rides with Lamar. He basically comes off the sideline for every fourth down call and every end of game situation is like, Lamar, you want to go for it? Great, let's go for it. It doesn't always work out, but he's trusting the franchise QB that basically saved his job in Baltimore. I just want to see that from McDermott. I would be like, yo, Josh, you want to go for it? Great. Let's go for it here. Right. Well, so I, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think the only certainty we know is that regardless of what happens, McDermott's going to be back next season. Oh, absolutely. Back. And it, and it seems like the, all indications Yeah. to continue my, my Andy Reid comp. It's like, you want the moment from the 13 second game where Andy Reid went to, you know, went to Patrick Mahomes. He's like, when it's, when the, when everything's at its most grim, you have to go be the reaper, right? Like you want that like amazing quote exactly. where like Sean McD- McDermott says that and like Josh Allen says it in, in his press conference after the meeting 
or after the game and you're just like, oh my God, like that's amazing coaching. Yeah, it sucks that it came at our expense, but yeah, that's, that is absolutely right. amazing. It is amazing. We'd like to, no, it's amazing we'd like coaching. They yeah. they left us right in our with that. Like they got us. Oh my God. All right. My my Canadian friend JJ, they effed us in our A, eh? Hey. <laughs> hey. Relax, guy. Don't call me guy, buddy. <laughs> oh man. I'm tired, um, dude. And that well, and that that I cannot think of a better way to end the pod on that. Um, so JJ, we've recapped the Philly game. We've given our bye week observations of what we think the future of this team holds. Uh, let's just hope our boys can can go on a run here and we can enjoy some more Bills postseason football. Because if not, I think at least from a roster management standpoint, it that this is going to be an end of an era in one way, shape, or form. That I think I I would like a few more months before we have to deal in that reality. Um so JJ, as always, it's been great potting with you, sir. Uh for those of you listening at home, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Google, Apple, Spotify. We are on all of them. And as always, go Bills. And this weekend, go Jaguars. Go go Texans. Go Titans and go Cardinals. If those four teams win, the Bills are not in the playoffs, but they're way closer. Yes. And go Bills. Way to bring it. And go Bills. <laughs>